Hey there, I'm Julie, and this is the Married to Addiction podcast. If you're here, then you're probably what I call my secret sister. We're in a situation we never asked to be in and fighting a battle we never wanted to fight. We're faith-filled women who are married to an alcoholic, and it affects every inch of our lives. If that sounds like you, then this is a safe place for you to land. Married to Addiction is a faith-based podcast where I help you find the tools and strength you need to navigate your husband's addiction without losing yourself in the process. So please subscribe and tune in as often as you can, because your husband's recovery is important, but so is yours. Hey, real quick heads up before we get started with today's episode. I wanted to let you know, if you don't know already, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And because of that, I wanted to offer my podcast listeners a couple of specials, one of which is not even on the website. So the only way that you can find out about this is to either be a podcast listener or be a subscriber to my email list. So in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to help you with your mental health. And I wanted to give you a discount in the process. So if you're familiar with my program, it's a Married to Addiction 30-day online program. I am actually offering that for the month of May only for a 40% discount. So that is a self-led, self-paced program that you can do online um, in the privacy of your home. And it is normally $97, but I'm offering a 40% discount, which brings it down to a little over $58. So if you would like to take advantage of that, again, only good during the month of May, go to my website, marriedtoaddiction.com, look for the drop down that says get help, and you'll see the program there. And then you want to check out using the coupon code MAY2022. So capital M, capital A, capital Y. 2022. And that'll bring it down um, minus 40% for you. Also, if you join the Secret Sister Circle during the month of May, you will get a free ebook devotional for the wife of an alcoholic. So that is a super great bonus to grab right now for joining the group. And then also, the one of the lessons that we did, well, both of the lessons that we did for the month of May were around mental health and mental health awareness. But the one that I did for May, uh, I, re- I believe it was around May 16th, it was the second lesson for May, was a video with my husband where he answered questions that were submitted by Secret Sister Circle members. So a lot of really great stuff in there. Um, everybody said it was really eye-opening for them. So please take advantage of these specials. Again, they are only for May, and you can get them both on my website, marriedtoaddiction.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Married to Addiction podcast. I'm super excited today because I have not one, but two guests with me today. With me are Matt and Sherry from the Untoxicated podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. So we're going to be talking about a little bit of a sensitive topic today. We're going to be talking about navigating sex in a marriage where one spouse is addicted. So I know you guys have touched on this yourselves um, on your own podcast and in the work that you do. So can we start with you just introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My name is Matt Salis, and I am the alcoholic in our relationship, or was the alcoholic. I have been sober for a little over five years. I drank heavily for 25 years. Pretty typical story. Started back in high school with experimentation. And then in college, I really, that's when things really picked up. I joined a fraternity and everything social was centered around alcohol. And so drank very heavily. 
at the end of my college career, that's when I was blessed with meeting Sherry. And she partied a fair bit too. And, and so we just kind of enjoyed that culture together. And then we got a job out of college and moved in together, lived together for a little while, got married. And then we started having kids. And that's when things really diverged. My drinking and Sherry's drinking took different paths, which I also think is a very common part of our story. Yeah, for sure. So I kind of, I love that you're both here because I really like um, getting both sides of the take on this subject, especially. So Matt, as far as, um, you know, when, when you were addicted and you were going through, um, you know, both of you struggling in the relationship where you were having problems, what was the most difficult part about um, sex within the marriage during that time period, as far as you were concerned on your side of things? Well, the most difficult part was having Sherry have any interest in sex. I don't want to speak too much for Sherry, especially because she's here, so I want her to tell her side of the story. But when, when things diverged and I kept drinking heavily and Sherry was ready to be a mother and to be an adult, and I think she'll tell you that that actually started to happen before we even had kids. It was just more dramatic when we started to have kids. But you know, we had sex a lot when we were younger, when we were in college, and it was kind of a carefree time. And we both enjoyed each other and enjoyed being with each other. But then eventually, um, it was very much a one way street, I was getting all the pleasure out of it, I was the one who was interested in sex. And what what really became difficult, Julie was later on, you know, deep into the addiction, uh, she was so disinterested, so unattracted to me that it was, you know, we still had a regular sex life. In, in our experience in, with the couples that we work with, we believe that there are two paths. In, in the one path, the, the case that was different from ours, sex in an alcoholic relationship dries up completely and it just doesn't exist anymore. Our path, and, and that's difficult to navigate, no question. I, I don't want to downplay that. But our path is, in my humble opinion, even more difficult. We kept having regular sex. We kept having, you know, wifely duty kind of sex. And there was no pleasure in it for Sherry. And it became eventually somewhat demoralizing for me, too, because I could tell she didn't want to. And she was doing it because she felt like it was her duty or to appease me or to keep me quiet or to keep me from begging or any of a variety of reasons. And so being on that end of it, when you know i was i was willing to uh to do whatever it took to to make it pleasurable and happy for sherry also i was do, willing to do anything it would take except for stop drinking and so i was just not attractive to her anymore and and um so the, the whole experience became one-sided and unfulfilling i did a lot of talking for you there sherry did you notice you did <laughs> I honestly think my story is a little bit different. Than oh, good. Narration. I think so. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I know that for a woman, just in general, as far as sex goes, you know, is different because it's a lot more emotional for us. So I'm sure that came into play for you, Sherry. So can you tell me, like, what was the most difficult part from your perspective about that? Well, I think I lost interest in sex a lot earlier than what? 
Matt is giving me credit for. Um, just because I saw the immaturity in our young adulthood and with our jobs, that was kind of a turnoff. And then when there would be any sort of instruction or maybe we should try this or maybe, you know, or saying no, I would see him turn into a, you know, a bratty teen and like get upset. So that added to the turnoff, like where I felt like I couldn't be in charge of what I think is going to feel good. Like he just dismissed me. So, and then just, you know, the, the routineness and the expectation um, that was there with the marriage that kind of put a lot of pressure on me, but also made me feel like I had to do it. And then I couldn't say no, even though, you know, I have every right to say no. So that even before I think the drinking and the addiction really started, I was already really turned off. Well, not and before then, the drinking started. The, the, but the, he- the addiction, yeah, like the heavy drinking happened, but not on a daily basis. And then, then we came to that point. And then it was just, you were disgusting in a lot of ways. And I was not attracted because there was an emotional disconnect between us as well earlier on. What's really interesting, Julie, about that phase is I didn't realize I was disgusted. Now it's funny. <laughs> we, we go to parties and, you know, if we're, if we're in a situation where the music's loud or whatever, you have to get close to someone and talk loud. And I'm talking to someone who's had five or six beers or whatever the, the quantity is. Oh, I am just disgusted by standing that close to someone and, and how it smells. And when I look back now and think about the fact that I was trying to be intimate with Sherry when most of the time that's how I smelled, I mean, I, I can't imagine it would be anything but a turnoff. But at the time, I thought, you know, even as I gained weight in my alcoholism and, and was just really, you know, not, not that uh, appealing of a human, I, I couldn't see that. I can't explain why, but I couldn't see that I was a, a turnoff to her even as it was happening. Yeah. It's funny how differently this plays out. So my husband and I talked about this recently too. I did a, um, I did a video with him actually a couple of weeks ago and my membership, um, based on questions that the women in the membership had submitted. And one of them was about sex in particular. And it's actually the next question that I'm going to ask you guys the, the exact question, but he said that on his side of things, um, so I, I turn into like the ice queen <laughs> when I'm like, when I'm upset. And so he basically felt like frozen out, so to speak. Like he didn't even try to approach me with it because he knew, I guess he knew like what the answer would be, but I do know that there's a lot of situations and relationships. And that's why this question was asked by one of my members, because you know, that it was happening differently in, in her relationship, it was more like what you guys are describing where you still were having a sexual relationship, but it wasn't necessarily fulfilling for both people. So it's interesting to hear how it plays out in different ways. So Matt, what would you say? And this was the question that was actually poised to my husband. So I want to ask it of you too. So what would you think um, is a good way to respond when your spouse said, oh, sorry, that's not it. It's, it's how should a wife broach the subject of not wanting to have sex when her husband with her husband, when he's drinking. So basically what you were just saying, like, she's, you know, not, interested because of, you know, the smell or, you know, just the emotional stuff behind it because whatever else is going on. So the question was like, how can you basically tell your husband that you're not interested in sex without hurting his feelings? 
Well, I, I don't think I have a good answer to that question because we're firm believers that love and alcoholism or even love and heavy drinking, abusive drinking can't coexist. And so I, I don't think I don't think there is a a polite or a acceptable or a way that's going to work to communicate that when one of the people in the relationship has a and you know in in our case and in the cases of your listeners when the husband is a is a big drinker it's it's just a recipe for disaster um you know sherry definitely talked you know in advance like if she could tell it's friday night and i'm drinking and we're going to watch a movie and she knows i'm going to want to have sex after that you know she she sometimes tried to hint early that it wasn't going to happen sometimes she would wait until we were in the bedroom and i was trying to climb on her that it wasn't going to happen there's just no good way a, a drinker is not receptive to rational conversation a heavy drinker is not receptive to, to rational conversation so I wish I had a solution for that listener that asked that question, but sobriety is the only solution. And we say all the time, Julie, sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. It wasn't until I was sober that I was able to have rational conversations and start to understand the position that I put Sherry in for all those years and how much damage had been done. And then we could start working forward. You know, we, I, like I said, I've been sober for a little over five years and it's been a ton of work. The sobriety part was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was really, really hard for anyone who isn't there yet. I never want to downplay it. It's grueling. It takes a full year before you start to get over the hump. That's my humble opinion. And the pleasure neurotransmitters start to fire properly and things start to come back to normal. So that's very difficult. But saving my marriage for both of us, saving our marriage was the hardest thing we've ever done. And the intimacy piece still five years down the road is the, the one that we're still working on because it depends on trust and tr trust is so hard to earn back. Um, so we're making great progress and we, we feel like we understand and it shouldn't take someone five years necessarily. We just didn't know what we were doing. Um, but there is a way to do it quicker, but quicker means, you know, three years instead of five. There's no quick fix to this at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times people think that, um, you know, when you're, when your partner goes through recovery, like pretty much that's the end, like now, you know, everything's fixed. And we were also talking about that on that video that we did. That's the beginning, you know, like you Absolutely. just said, the beginning of a lot of the rest of it. So Sherry, if, if, so say somebody is in that position that you were in where, you know, at that for, for obviously, you know, quite a bit of your relationship, Matt was not sober. He was not really even interested in being sober for quite some time, if he was anything like my husband. So in that case, when you are being asked for sex and you are not wanting to, to have sex for the obvious reasons, what would be, did you have like a good boundary ever that you um, ended up implementing around sex or like, what, what do you think would be a good way on our side of things to basically say, you know, no, I'm not interested. Well, I think for me and on our case, I was always a willing participant in the beginning of the relationship and I didn't have a lot of boundaries um, and I didn't have any, I didn't withhold a lot of the, um, a lot of the times. So I think that from like looking back, I wish I would have respected myself more and been able to kind of like, I know this is a poor choice of words, but train Matt to be okay with, I am not interested and it is okay. So. I feel like if I had given myself boundaries earlier on or given him boundaries earlier on, 
then maybe that would have made it easier to say no. But from our experience, there was no um, way to rationally to have a rational conversation with him when he was drinking. He was also a very big arguer. Um, he was a little bit stubborn. If he wanted something, he went after it and he pursued it and he would get loud and pout and, you know, whatever it takes, like just relentless. And that's how I feel like I, I could have seen those signs earlier in just his personality, but I didn't. So I think that sometimes when we have relationships where we see that there isn't an intimate relationship during the active alcoholism, it's because boundaries and, and I don't, I don't want to say self-respect, but I feel like self-respect is the only way I can describe it for me. Self-respect to say no early on, like your husband, Julie calls you the ice queen and he knows not to approach. Matt had no idea. He just had always been met with sure, sure, sure. Let's have sex. And I was always very willing to oblige even when I didn't feel like it. Gotcha. I think that one of the important things to remember when you are needing a boundary around sex is it's not to manipulate that person. <laughs> it's not to like control, you know, the situation. Um, and, and for that reason, it's basically because you're no longer feeling like that is a safe, loving space for you. And, you know, for us as women, it's very emotional. So if we're not, if we're not feeling like that's a loving, safe space, then yes, we absolutely do have the right to say, I don't want to go there. So absolutely. And then also, I know that, you know, my, a lot of my listeners are Christian women. So I know that there's also, um, sometimes you can get hung up on the topic of like biblical submission. And I don't want to go into that here because that's a lot of layers, but I did talk about that in a lesson that I did um, in the secret sister circle, because it definitely can, that can also come into play where people start feeling like there's that obligation that you were talking about. And mm -hmm. I personally don't feel like even God wants us to put ourselves in a situation where we don't feel safe, even if it's emotionally safe. So I think that's an important reminder, but what do you, what do you do, Sherry? If like, what do you think is a good way to respond? If your husband starts saying that because you're not having, like he, he's drinking because you're not having sex with him. Like that's one of the reasons. And that's part of the problem. What's a good response for that? Cause obviously we know that that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to well, shout at this one when you're done. <laughs> well, I'm sure that I'm sure that that was a conversation that had been had because he had gotten out of bed and pouted. And, you know, I would say it is not me. It is you. My feelings are I'm not feeling safe or comfortable with you at this time. And I don't want to hurt our intimate relationship. Now, whether he had any rationale to that reasoning, I don't know. But that would be the only thing that I would try to say to Matt during those times. Um, and I often would say, well, you drink for many, many reasons. So me not being intimate with you isn't the real reason. It could be a number of reasons. So that to me doesn't hold water. And that was conversations like we had, not when he was necessarily sober, but he would just not be drinking at the time. Um, so I would say, you know, that it doesn't matter what it is. You always have an excuse to drink. So please don't put in my, um, my desire to not have sex with you and stick me with your, your excuse. I'm not going to be your excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of women have heard because Chris are turning it back on us. So, so I definitely mm -hmm. appreciate that, that advice. That's great. So do y'all think that there's any way to still have any sort of intimacy, um, you know, sex aside, 
when one partner is in active addiction? And if you guys did experience that, like, what did that look like for you? Well, I don't know. I didn't feel like that he was safe. That started years before he even tried to pursue sobriety. Um, Oftentimes when I would share things with him, it would get thrown back in my face or it would be um, something he would use as a weapon. So I feel like intimacy is very hard to achieve when you can't trust your partner. And then just the many times that you're let down, like you can't have that sort of trust and intimacy, at least in our case, I couldn't, I withheld, I, I didn't really tell Matt much of what was going on or feeling wise. And I hid a lot of things from him, like things that would just even be going on in the outside world or with extended family. Cause I just couldn't trust him with that that information. So for me, I would say, I don't think intimacy is possible in an addicted relationship. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think intimacy relies on trust to such a large extent. And I trusted Sherry. I trusted Sherry when I was a heavy drinker, when I was in active addiction, when I was in early sobriety, there was never a point that I didn't trust her, but I had crushed her ability to trust me. And, you know, we didn't have infidelity in our marriage. There was never physical abuse. There was lots of manipulation, gaslighting, mental abuse, um, lots of broken promises. But all of that just destroys trust. You know, just the, the simple things that I would think were innocent at the time when I was drinking. We'd go to a party, a neighborhood party, just with, with just friends from, from the hood, right? And, I, and I'd say, oh, I'm, you know, okay, Sherry, fine. I'll only have two or three. And then I'd have two or three and boys, those would taste good. And pretty soon I'd had, I don't know, seven or eight or eight or nine. That, that is a destruction of trust. To me, that was, uh, boys will be boys. I got a little carried away. What's the big deal? I didn't realize the damage that I was doing in active addiction. And so when there is no trust, there's just no shot at intimacy. Even after I got sober and we were working on this, we you know, and and our sex life started to improve, even when the sex got better, the intimacy wasn't there for a long time because that trust had to re- be rebuilt because without it, you know, there's no, there's no shot at intimacy. And, and what we tell the, the women that we work with, the loved ones of alcoholics that we work with is, you know, that's gonna take time, the trust rebuilding and the subsequent in- intimacy that follows. And there's nothing wrong with it taking time. That, that's, I mean, you build these defense mechanisms, you put up these walls, these barriers between you and your alcoholic husband, and they're there to protect you during active addiction. They help you be a good mother. They help you take care of yourself. And then just because the person you're married to gets sober doesn't mean those walls come down and the trust can't be rebuilt until the, the walls come down. But you've got to work through the resentments. There's so many pieces to the puzzle, so, so many parts of the process of recovering the trust. And without trust, there's just no intimacy. So I, you know, of all the people that we've met doing this and talking about this, I've never met anyone who has a healthy, intimate relationship when the drinker is still drinking. Never. Yeah, that's tough for sure. So what does a wife do? What if she is in a relationship uh, where her husband is addicted and he is not at the place yet where he is ready to Um, entertain the thought of recovery. So if you had to give like, I guess one, one 
final piece of advice, Sherry, I'll start with you around sex where that wife is concerned, what would you tell her? Hmm. I guess, um, you know, I guess it would depend on the alcoholic because I do know we work with a lot of women whose husbands are varying levels of, of alcoholism or active addiction and just their personalities. But I would think that if there was any way that if they were a reader or a podcast listener, if they could start to at least grasp that that isn't anything that's going to happen, um, having an intimate relationship that's open and honest, there can still be sex, but it can be damaging. But if there was any way they could convey that there are studies and there's, you know, advice from therapists and psychologists out there, maybe that would kind of sink in. Sometimes I felt like my words were falling on deaf ears with Matt because of the alcohol and his lack of self-esteem. And so he needed that to be rebuilt and sex was one way he felt that. Um, so it's not great advice. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the last thing you hit on is really important for your listeners to understand, Julie. Toward the end, during, during my active addiction, I was addicted to sex just as much as I was alcohol, but not in the traditional way that people talk about sex addiction. I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping with other people. I wasn't you know, hiring prostitutes, nothing like that. But I got a dopamine hit from having sex with my wife. And so I wanted it more and more and more, just as she wanted it less and less and less. So it was in a sense, a substance for me, just like the alcohol was. So the advice that I would give to the wife of an, someone who's in active addiction is to do that boundaries work. It's really, really hard, especially if you've had an active sex life and you have been, you know, more or less submissive for years, putting the brakes on is, is really, really difficult, but it does a couple of things. And when I say boundaries work, I'm, I'm suggesting figure out what you are comfortable with. What are your boundaries? And it's okay if those shift. There, we definitely have seen situations where the, the wife is willing to put up with things now, and then a year or six months or two years down the road, what they're willing to put up with changes. Either the alcoholism has progressed because it always does, it's a progressive disease, or they just, they're, they're just tired of being in that relationship. And so what they were willing to put up with um, no longer exists. They're not willing to put up with that anymore. And the boundaries have to get more and more severe, but the boundaries, they do a couple of things. They protect the wife. They protect that loved one from alcohol experiences that they're not comfortable with, but it also that, you know, we talk about detachment, that the boundaries that cause the wife to detach emotionally from the husband, that was one of the things that sent me into sobriety. There are really, there are two things. My um, depression and anxiety just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I was medicating my depression and anxiety with alcohol and it would soothe me for a temporary period of time. I didn't realize the alcohol was also causing the depression and anxiety. So, but eventually I learned that. I figured out that when I drank, after I drank, the day after or whatever, the, the few days after, that's when I was in the worst shape. And so that pain of the depression and anxiety that was being caused by alcohol was one of the factors in my sobriety. But the other factor was that Sherry stopped caring. When I would come and talk to her about the new rules I was going to put around my drinking or, the, or something that I had read or, or what I was going to try next, 
to be a better husband. She, she was just done. And so we didn't understand boundaries at the time. We didn't research it. We didn't learn about it. But in essence, what, what she did was detach from me emotionally. And when I could tell she was done, like, like she's getting close to being ready to move on. That was a real wake up call for me and, and caused me to, to, that was one of the two factors that caused me to, to find sobriety. So that boundary work, I just can't emphasize enough, not only how important it is, but we do understand how hard it is. And when you're new at boundaries, um, it can take a long time to figure out what they are and just be comfortable with the fact that they're going to move over time. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, it's such a good point. And I say the same thing. It, a lot of what you and I, I think both teach, you know, around boundaries and detaching and those kind of things. It feels so backwards. At least it did to me. Like I, it mm-hmm. didn't make sense to me to detach from him at that point because it felt like he needed me, you know, because he was struggling. But I always tell my ladies, it feels backwards, but you're actually, like you just said, you're doing this for you. And in turn, it is likely that you will also get his attention at the same time. And it doesn't seem like it's going to work that way, but I've seen it over and over again that it does exactly that. So that's a great point. Yeah. And and I can't think of a single case where we've ever seen the natural instinct. And listen, we get it. Women are nurturers. They There is a gender component to this. Women are more um, you know, inclined to be nurturing and to try to help this person that they're married to solve their problem. But I can think of zero cases where that has actually worked as hard. And, and before Sherry detached, she tried that too. She did everything she could to help me find sobriety. I can think of zero cases where that worked. Now the detachment route, that isn't 100%. But we've certainly seen people have a lot more success with boundaries and detachment than when someone's trying to fix another human because that's not possible. Absolutely. And in the in the process of having the boundaries and attaching, you're taking care of yourself. So it's like it's a win win potentially. So I love that. Well, I am so thankful for you guys for um, being here today and talking through this with us. It is a very important subject and one that doesn't doesn't get discussed enough, I don't think, especially in this arena. So I would love for you to let everybody know uh, where they can find you, like the social media places and website and all of that good stuff. Can you share that with us? Yes, absolutely. We, we have built multiple different websites and we've made it as confusing as possible and difficult to navigate. So I, I think the easiest place for people to start is we, we published a book in 2020. The title of the book is Sober Evolution. And so soberevolution.org, we're a nonprofit, so we use the .org. So soberevolution.org, you can navigate to everything from there. And the name of the podcast is The Untoxicated Podcast and it's available you know, wherever people download their favorite place to download podcasts. Awesome. And y'all make sure you go listen. There are a lot of good episodes over there and you might just find one also with yours truly. So go check that out for sure. (laughs) Yeah. We loved having you on our podcast. It was fun. It was fun. I'm glad I could return the favor. So this has been awesome. Thank y'all for taking the time and just um, having this open and honest conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Julie. Quick question for you before I let you go today. Have you been to the Married to Addiction website? 
If you haven't, I would love if you would go pay it a visit. It's just MarriedToAddiction.com. And over there, you can see um, just a lot of different information about my podcast. There is a blog on there. There's some free resources for you. And there's also a few ways that you can actually get some help if you need a little more help and direction and support as you travel this difficult path with your addicted husband. So if you haven't yet, please go visit MarriedToAddiction.com. Thanks so much.